Morning Liberty. Well, what is going on, all of our Liberty-loving friends? This is another fantastic episode of Good Morning Liberty. I'm one of the hosts here, Charles Chuck Thompson. With me, as always, is the sickly, lowly, still knows everything, Mr. Nathaniel Paul Thurston. How's it going today, man? <laughs> How's it going today, Chuck? Yeah. You keep that over there. Yeah. I'm actually not coughing much. I just, um, you know, I feel like crap, kind of like a pre-flu kind of thing, mm. like where you know tomorrow is going to be bad. Yeah. That sort of thing. The mm. fever's coming on. You, you feel fatigued, weak, like you can't move. Yeah. That's what today is. Well, you spent the weekend whoring around. I know. And that's what happens on a Monday. What are you going to do, man? Those, <laughs> those STDs. So what's up? This is Good Morning Liberty. We talk about life, liberty, and the pursuit of meaning every single day of the week when we want to. If you are so inclined, please smash that follow or subscribe button on your favorite podcast app and tell a friend and a family member that they both need to go to joingml.com and become a real libertarian so they can get their Twitter account hacked right over here on joingmail.com. <laughs> I did see that. LP yeah. National got their Twitter hacked. Pretty crazy. Uh, I wonder if they're going to get it back. <laughs> Do I you hope... think there's like a protocol for blue checks to be able to get their accounts back? I don't know. Yeah. I, I know they reached out to Twitter, but who knows what's going to happen. It's probably there. Twitter it's, that did it, honestly. It's somebody at Twitter. Yeah. It's probably it. the Republican Party hacked in there. Hey, I'm also going to announce this at the beginning instead of the end for okay. all you folks who skip the ending of the show. Mm -hmm. Go uh, check out God Hates Feds, because he does. That's <laughs> GodHatesFeds.com and get some merch. We have, I've seen some merch orders come in. We appreciate all the support. As you know, the evil, woke uh, social media companies have demonetized us everywhere. So uh, the support comes from y'all. And uh, to keep Nate going, he's sick and needs to go to the doctor. Okay? I do. I can't go to the doctor because people well, are buying the God Hates Fed shirts. You don't believe in yeah. healthcare? Yeah. Okay. Okay. Uh, so anyway, go check that out and get a t-shirt while you support us. We appreciate it. Listen... That's it. Show's over. I don't know if you know this, man, but Ron DeSantis, that dude, is a massive hypocrite, dude. He's the anti-socialist. Now, first off, this is a libertarian podcast. We're, we're not here to suck up any Republicans or defend the Republicans, even though that's what we're about to do here for a minute. But I did see that the liberal media finally got Ron DeSantis on something, and that is after Hurricane Ian went through and DeSantis asked for financial aid from the federal government. They dug up his old records, which I didn't even realize the guy was in Congress previously. I had, I had no clue at all. But anyway, he voted against Hurricane Sandy relief, and now he wants Hurricane Ian relief. And that is the bottom line, end of story right there, hypocrite. Mm -hmm. That's it. Yep. That's all there is to know about this. Got a good article here from Salon. We're not actually going to read through these because I just told you what the gist of all the stories are. There's a lot of it out there. So you got... DeSantis, people calling him out as he asked for money. You got Marco Rubio getting confronted on this stuff. I believe he had a, a bombshell interview on CNN, people confronting him when he voted no on Sandy Relief. Even got PolitiFact out there fact-checking stuff. Did they, in fact, vote against aid for Hurricane Sandy while they are now asking for financial aid for Hurricane Ian? And PolitiFact says that is mostly true. It is mostly true that they voted against those. Not missing context. Nothing like that. <laughs> now, when you see a mostly true thing, I don't know. When I see that, I want to look into it and be like, okay, what's the mostly part? 
Well, because it, it's just like mostly peaceful. Probably a big mostly mm-hmm. in there. And it, it did turn out, you know, I don't know if anyone remembers, but there was the Hurricane Sandy, a big bad hurricane. And um, they did, in fact, vote against that. The problem was they voted, Rubio voted for other Hurricane Sandy relief bills, the smaller ones. And then they tried to ram through this real big one that had a whole bunch of porks in it. And they voted against that one. Mm. And DeSantis, I believe he wasn't there at the time that they were voting for the smaller ones. He came in when they were voting for the big one, and he did vote against it. And apparently it was a big deal because it had a bunch of useless stuff in it. Here's one of the big things we'll talk about here at the beginning. Politics is a dirty game. Real dirty Mm. game. Yeah, sleazy. They take something like hurricane relief, and they find this emotional point. You know, people in need. Mm. And you see people, and they need this help right now. And they'll take that bill, and then they put in a bunch of other stuff that's not really necessary, but it fulfills their obligations to their campaign donors. And they'll name it Stop Hurricanes. Yes. You know, Bill. Stop Everyone Affected by Hurricane Sandy from Dying Tomorrow Relief Act. Yes. Is what it's called. And then. So when you vote against that, then you're fine Mm -hmm. with everyone dying. And uh, and that's, that's the way that they do it. And it seemed to be the same thing back then with Hurricane Sandy. And we'll talk about what they're doing now with Hurricane Ian as well. But uh, yeah, they did vote against the bigger bill on that. But there were other bills that Rubio supported. I think that's important. This right here is from Freedom Works. They pinpointed a few things just in the Sandy relief bill. I'm just, we're just pointing out a few things because, man, these, we don't talk about the, the politics, the political workings quite as much. We try to dig down a little bit deeper, but these people are good at this, man. I mean, the constant manipulation and gamesmanship that's going on, they just got to have whole teams of people sitting around thinking stuff up. It's impressive. Do you think people are thinking up? Do you think it's like a natural thing that happens? What gets me the most about all of this is the fact that the majority of Americans just like, there's just like no insight to it whatsoever. Yeah. But they get away with this all the time. Just read the headline. They oh, just, look at that. That's bad. The fact that they just continue to get away with it, I think, really perplexes me. And here's the thing. Like you said, they just continue to get away with it. As soon as the American people will actually take a few seconds to dig into stuff and not be so politically biased and accept that both sides do bad stuff all the time and a lot of political trickery going on and this stuff stops working, then they'll probably stop doing it. But as long as it's politically profitable for them to do this, that's what they're going to do. A few things inside of the Sandy relief bill, not the EM. And the Hurricane Sandy relief bill. Hurricane Sandy was on the East Coast, you know. New Jersey, New New York. Places like that. $150 million for Alaskan fisheries. Well, the prevailing winds... (laughs) We're well, so strong against the jet stream, it created this vortex in, underneath the ice in Alaska. Yeah. And so when they were out there, you know, trying to run their fishing trips, it became hard to drill through the ice because... I got you. Yeah. Okay. You just well, think about okay. hurricane-force winds against a jet stream yep. on uh, 3,000 miles away. It 
it just has an effect. Well, the thing that we we forget to mention, that we forget to pay attention to, though, that hurricane goes up there. What happens when it goes up over the top of Earth and it comes back down? It probably came straight through Alaska. Yeah. Took that thing out. We just didn't it just hit the news around here in the yeah. mainland. Was the it, was a, it was a Nord Stream 8 hurricane <laughs> category. That's what happens when it ascends yes. into the heavens. When it hits the Nord Stream. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's category... <laughs> eight and it falls back down as you know it's impressive god is evil yeah and he, hates, I'm trying to and say. he hates alaska yeah two million to the smithsonian to repair roofs now the counter argument to that was well the roofs were damaged from the hurricane the question is is this an emergency and does the federal government like immediately need to kick in money because smithsonian they don't have any money and it's like everyone else's job to repair any damage related to a natural disaster whatsoever you could make the argument well yeah the roof was messed up from the hurricane and it's the federal government's job to repair damage from hurricanes <laughs> clearly yeah <laughs> eight million dollars to homeland security and the justice department to buy cars well probably had a lot of cars damaged of, i guess in the, the hurricane. flooding yeah a lot of damage. I mean, i'm sure yeah hail damage maybe so mm -hmm. they didn't have insurance no nothing like that and so yeah, a lot of stuff. Uh, $58 million for forest restoration on private land. Mm. $197 million to protect coastal ecosystems and habitat impacted by Hurricane Sandy. Now, that's a consequence of Hurricane Sandy. Mm. $200 million right there. Is it an emergency the federal government immediately needs to dish out money for? Like, that's kind of the question. Should that be inside of, I don't know, some kind of other bill where we waste people's money? $10 billion for public transportation, most of which was allocated to future construction and improvements the argument there was well it takes us a really long time to rebuild stuff and so it was in future years budgets well they need hurricane force um protection roads mm -hmm. you know yeah like to make sure that Those roads catch a lot of wind mm -hmm. and they're trying to make the, the the buses and trains more aerodynamic to withstand you know 155 mile an hour winds where they keep running you don't like, have to stop them or anything exactly if you can make them wind powered it'd be even better even run yeah. more trains during the Put hurricane. Sales. Mm -hmm. on, sales on the trains. And the buses. So that when the hurricane comes through, you just deploy the sail, shut the engine off, put it in neutral, and the wind will carry you where you need to go. You see, the problem with our government these days is that there's not this type of innovation happening inside of these things. No. It's so corrupt. It's just two geniuses talking on yeah. a podcast. They don't listen to people like us when we're throwing out these money-saving, life-saving options. They, they just don't listen. I'm reminded of Armageddon when he's like, and it'll mylar cast sales. those mylar sails. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> okay, so now what do we have after Hurricane Sandy? Which wouldn't work, by the way, because there's no like air in space. So, Well, there's well, we, we'll, we'll get into yeah. debunking Armageddon on yeah. a separate oh, okay. The Armageddon podcast. Well, I thought that was in the bill, the Armageddon budget. <laughs> <laughs> From Matt Gatz. Or is it Gates? We'll never know. I say that literally every time we mention Matt Gatz. He says, Dear Congress, on behalf of my fellow Florida man in grave need of assistance, just send us like half of what you sent Ukraine. Signed, your fellow Americans. And that's pretty good. Now, here's the problem. Now they're getting them. They got them. Because, you know, Congress, they tried to give Florida a bunch of money, and it turns out, the people in Florida, their representatives, they don't want Florida to have this money. Mm -mm. Okay, that's how much they hate the people of Florida. All right? 
So Matt Gatz, this is from Newsweek, this one right here, asked for help in Florida after voting against hurricane relief. They had the Hurricane Ian Relief Saving Everyone in Florida's Lives Act that they were pushing through that was specifically for money for Hurricane Ian. And Matt Gatz said, screw those Florida men. I don't like them. All right. We got some more of that. Matt Gatz is asking the government to fund Hurricane Ian disaster relief in Florida days after he voted against FEMA aid. Hates him, man. The independent Matt Gatz votes against hurricane relief money in home state of Florida after Hurricane Ian devastation. He just doesn't care. Mm -mm. Doesn't care one bit. Occupy Democrats. Man, all 16 of Florida's Republican members of the House voted against federal disaster relief for Florida yesterday. Mm -hmm. And separately from Occupy Democrats, breaking everything from them is breaking all the time. I love it. Representative Matt Gatz shamelessly demands additional funds from Congress to help Florida recover from Hurricane Ian, even though he voted against federal funding last week that freed up $18 billion in disaster aid. Retweet if you think Floridians should demand his resignation. Mm. Yep. And then uh, the tweet will wrap it up here. Matt Gatz's tweet uh, asking to send half of what they sent to Ukraine. Uh, this other representative, Jerry Connolly, says, we passed a bill on Friday that included $18.8 billion for FEMA's hurricane response. Every Florida Republican, including Matt Gatz, voted no. They hate him. Charlie, he clearly hates Florida, right? And that's the end of the story. That's, that's it. That's all it could be. Mm. Can't think yeah. of anything else. Now, did anybody see what was in the bill that they passed? That was relief Friday? for victims of hurricane climate change, Ian. Oh, yeah, and that was the only thing that was, that was in it, it, right? It was just a bill mm. specifically uh, for Hurricane Ian. Yeah. That's all it's, it was. Mm-hmm. That's all it could be. It was also a uh, continuing resolution bill to keep the government funded that also included $12 billion for Ukraine and billions of dollars. Well, think about the impact of the hurricane on Ukraine. It's a big deal. Yeah. Yeah. This That's I mean, one of it, their biggest threats right now. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It roared through the China Sea. It's hard to see on a map, but it roared, you know, through the around Alaska. Like after it hit, you know, Alaska, it came down, yeah, the Bering Strait mm-hmm. and around the bend of, you know, well, because it was Putin's hurricane in the first place. We right. talked about that last mm-hmm. week. So and then it skipped Moscow, of course, because it's probably they had their uh, well, a hurricane never goes back to where it was created. <laughs> So it skipped around it mm-hmm. and then went through the Donbass region and up underneath Ukraine. And then it literally just hovered over Ukraine and started dropping bombs. It's a crazy yeah. hurricane. No, I got you, man. So, and so uh, back to seriousness here for, here for a second, just like what we talked about with Hurricane Sandy, they're so good at this, at playing politics. And they're politicians, so I guess they're doing a good job. Mm-hmm. I don't know. But what do they do? They take... The relief bill for Hurricane Ian, and they attach it in a bill that also sends $12 billion to Ukraine and a whole bunch of other stuff. And that's the bill for Hurricane Ian relief. Now, it's still passed. Don't worry. Ukraine's still going to get your money. Don't worry about it. Mm-hmm. And we're going to send a little bit more to help people in Florida. Uh, but they attach it so the Republicans, who are not going to vote for that, so they can do this. 
so they can say these things right here. See? Mm-hmm. See? How could you vote against your own relief? And for the the mindless bots out there, I know they're probably real people, but for the mindless bots out there, they'll just see these and say, why would Matt Gatz, he, I know he's a clear fiscal hawk, these Republicans, you know, but geez, you can't even help these people in Florida that need help. The and people some, who voted for you? Yeah. Sometimes it works. It probably works just a little bit. I'm just oh. asking for people to think just for a minute, just a little bit past the the obvious gamesmanship here. And then you get people out there that be like, oh, look, you know, Republicans vote against themselves. Mm-hmm. You know, they can't help themselves. It's just like, it's such a dirty game. And it just, I think most Americans have seen through this, which is why they don't vote to begin with. Like the largest population of Americans don't really vote. Um, well, close to, I guess is like 40%, um, somewhere around there that, uh, just abstain because they're like, yeah, this is garbage. And you talk to everyday people. We talked to everyday people this weekend. We went and watched the Cowboys game and, uh, you know, most people you meet, they're nice people and they're, they're like right in the middle Do you and know they what? think both sides are garbage. Do you know what was great about this weekend and uh, what I really loved? You were talking to this guy for for the whole game. Now, we are at a bar watching the Cowboys game. We weren't sitting there with Cowboys fans. No. All the games were on around the bars. Me and Charlie, diehard Cowboys fans, wearing our Cowboys stuff. To my left was a guy from Philadelphia, Philadelphia Eagles fan, watching the Eagles game that was going on. And to our right. hate them. Yeah. And to our right was a Giants fan. His name was Chuck, too. His name was Chuck. All right. Or Kunu, whichever one you want to do. Right. So to your left was sitting Jonas Brothers <laughs> from Pennsylvania. Mm-hmm. And to my right was sitting a Chuck. And we all from just New had York. a great time. We had a good time. And we and it was mentioned several times. The Giants fan was like, why can't our country be like this? Mm-hmm. He actually said that several times. I appreciated that. Yeah. You know? And I told him why our country can't be. Here we all are having a good time, talking about stuff. I'm agreeing, you know, we're talking about the Giants quarterback and we're talking about the Eagles quarterback and about their teams and we all hate each other on the deepest philosophical level here. I mean, there's nothing like hating your own division opponents. No, no, I mean, this is, there's a deep hatred between fans, but we were able to get along and have a good time. And the guy was like, why can't our country be like this? And I told him it's because when the other team wins, they can't arrest you and put you in a cage against your will. That's why we can sit here and have a good time. But when it comes to politics and you're talking about the different teams right there, well, these days, pretty big consequences depending on who gets the gun at the end of the election. What are they going to do with it? It's not the case with games, not the case with sports. So even though we disagree, we can still get along, Mm -hmm. have a good time. And that's how, that's really how politics should be too, because the government shouldn't have all that power that you're afraid of other people having. Amen and a woman. Now a word from our sponsor, BetterHelp. You know, sometimes we all get stuck in this cycle of only focusing on the problems we face instead of finding ways to solve those problems. We deal with a lot of that on this show. Of course, we talk politics every single day. It's a bunch of people upset about problems and hardly anyone is talking about real solutions. That gets all of us stuck in this negative cycle. It's tough to get out of. I've been able to get out of this cycle in the past because I chose to go to therapy, just like everyone. I've had tons of problems to work through in the past and talking to someone that really helped me focus on the right things. I got out of the problem cycle and into the problem solving cycle. 
If you think you could benefit from therapy, I recommend trying BetterHelp. It's convenient, affordable, and accessible entirely online, so you can get matched with a therapist after filling out a quick survey, and you can even switch therapists at any time. When you want to be a better problem solver, therapy can get you there. Visit BetterHelp.com GML today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp.com GML. From the New York Post, yeah. President Biden thanked a U.S. Coast Guard member for saving lives during Hurricane Ian. Quote, I told him how proud of him I was and thanked him for all the work he and his Coasties are doing to save lives. Biden said Friday of his call with aviation uh, survival technician, second class, Zach Loish, Fox News reported. But despite the tribute, Loish told Breitbart News that he is among the service members poised to be discharged in 30 to 60 days for not following Biden's edict, making the jabs mandatory in the military. So this guy gave up his life. To well, rescue he's, a, people. he's alive. He's, I mean, he was willing to he give up his, his life. life. He yeah. risked it to save folks. And uh, he's going to be discharged because he won't get the COVID shot. Can you imagine <sighs> how dangerous it was to have that guy out there rescuing people? I, w- I mean, he could have given them COVID. Did they not? Uh, this grounds for a lawsuit right here, mm-hmm. you know? Amid the Category 4 hurricane, Lutch said he rescued a disabled woman and her husband from kicking through a wall to free them, uh, after kicking through a wall to free them, then went back to retrieve her wheelchair, which he attached to his body as he, hoisted, uh, as he was hoisted by a chopper. Loish, who also rescued several dogs and cats, told the outlet he did not want to bring up his imminent discharge during the call with the commander-in-chief. Quote, It just sucks that he thanked me, yet the vaccine mandate is what's kicking me out. I just love my job, and I'm, re- and I'm really good at it. It sucks. I feel like this is the job I was born to do. He is one of 2,632 Coast Guard members who refused to get a vaccine, the Daily Mail reported. So, well, you know, um, I'm, I'm not sure what's more dangerous, COVID or Category 4 Hurricane. Well, it's COVID. Obviously. Yeah. But COVID's killed way more people than Hurricane Ian. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, you look at the sheer numbers on this thing, you know, yeah, it's dangerous. Yeah. Can we just talk about how uh, just ridiculous this is in October of 2022 for this guy to be out there rescuing people? after the a devastating hurricane and he's about to get discharged because he hasn't had the COVID vaccine. Now also add to the ridiculousness. If he were to go get one jab of the November, 2020 Pfizer vaccine, he would be able to stay in the coast guard. Why? And it would, it's efficacy would basically be zero. Basically no e- efficacy. We don't even know if he's been previously infected before. They didn't go into that. If he's had that, He's got good natural antibodies. We know that. So what are we doing here? How is this still a thing? It's completely ridiculous. Oh, Lord. Yeah, there's a, there's that article right there. He did have religious. He applied for the religious objection. I uh, saw that, and they basically denied all those. So over 2,000 Coast Guard members, and they're having a hard time getting people to join any of the branches Right now, I don't know how the Coast Guard's doing, but the military, the recruitment's down like 25%, something like that. Imagine that. It's not good, especially when you're about to enter World War III. Yeah. You want your recruitment to be up real high. Mm. Now, people will go join up, after, you know, if the if we do 
have World War Three. I'm I mean, sure you don't even have to wear a mask on a plane anymore. Yeah. So, yeah, just <laughs> this this is how dumb it's getting. Jeff said, "Died from Hurricane Ian versus died with Hurricane Ian." <laughs> we don't have the numbers on that. Yeah. No, we do not have the official numbers. Okay, let's go over uh, real quick. This is something from last week, and it's been resolved. But in Puerto Rico, they were having some issues because they had a hurricane not too long ago. Same, uh, same one. Fiona before that. Oh, I Did thought I thought Ian went over Puerto Rico too, or went over Cuba. Yeah, I'm sorry. I believe it was uh, Hurricane Fiona went through there, and they were having a hard time but once Shrek. again, as they as they do. Uh, Isn't that Princess Fiona and Shrek? <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, it is. I could be making up the Fiona thing. I don't know. Maybe that's oh, okay. what it is. Let's see. Well, our hurricanes have layers. You know? <laughs> they do. <laughs> yeah. In the aftermath of Hurricane Fiona, yeah, there it is right there. The Jones Act is screwing over Puerto Rico again. Like I said, this has been resolved, but let's talk about how ridiculous this problem was mm -hmm. to begin with. President Joe Biden's administration is trying to figure out what to do about a BP ship loaded with fuel idling off the coast of Puerto Rico. Because of the Jones Act, the ship cannot legally deliver fuel to the island, where thousands remain without any power at all in the wake of Hurricane Fiona, without some sort of exemption for the ship to dock. I want everyone to think about this scenario for a second. They resolved it. They gave them temporary permission to do this. They waived, waived the Jones Act for this ship to deliver. Can we think about how ridiculous this problem is? Why are we talking about this right now? seriously it's to protect you nate <laughs> yeah and you know at first i was upset but now i realize this is all for your protection oh yeah you're yeah. right that's why they do this it's not to protect uh <laughs> unions in the shipping industry or any kind of ship builders specific ones like one could you imagine the or like, the phone call like <laughs> hey man you gonna deliver that gas oh yeah dude i'm, I'm just right outside yeah. Like, oh, well, why don't you come in and just deliver the gas? Because we really need it. Mm -hmm. You're like, well, I know you need it, and I want to give it to you. Yeah. But I'm sitting here because I can't. It's like, I'll go to prison. Why can't you? <laughs> well, I, you know, I just, I'm just out here waiting for someone to, you know, sign off on the fact that I can deliver what you need to you. This you, you asked for it, and I'm here to give it to you, but I need permission it's a perfect representation of the government's interference in the market God, all the time. Here's a ship with diesel. People got diesel generators. There's no power out there. They can't dock because it's illegal. It's a perfect, and they couldn't do anything until they finally signed a waiver saying that they could do it. It's perfect representation of the government interfering in the market. This is not the only market, but the Jones Act is... <clears throat> a mess and one of the big reasons that we had such supply chain problems over the last couple of years also and, and also so you know when they sit out there and idle that all costs money now who do you think pays that you we had a conversation about why everything is so expensive uh mainly the government yeah it's mainly the government so this the is so insane the jones act requires that ships delivering goods between u.s ports be made in america owned by american companies and crewed by americans I believe they've reduced those specifications down to 75% on some of those. But regardless, the act is openly and plainly a protectionist law designed to shield domestic maritime industry from foreign competition. It's clearly that is literally what it is. It's uh, signed back in 1920. 
I believe the impact is felt most keenly on outer edges of America's territory. Places like Alaska, Hawaii, Puerto Rico are most dependent on ocean shipping. The law, by its very nature, drives up costs. And in the case of an emergency or disaster, it's difficult to respond quickly because there aren't all that many Jones Act compliant ships. There are currently less than 100 of them. Whenever a crisis comes around that involves shipping, this law that supposedly helps America has to be temporarily suspended or bypassed in order to handle it. This is from Reason, by the way. I don't know if we noticed that or noticed if we said that beforehand. In 2017, Trump allowed for a 10-day waiver of the Jones Act because of another hurricane that hit Puerto Rico, Hurricane Maria. So it could bring them drinking water, food, heating oil, and fuel from U.S. ports. So they gave them a 10-day waiver for those. Uh, Granting waivers for the purposes of national security was a relatively quick process in 20, uh, before 2020, but since 2020, the National Defense Authorization Act was amended to change the waiver process. It requires that the purpose of these waivers is to prevent an immediate adverse effect on military operations, and thus making it much harder for the federal government to provide those waivers. So, for the non-military citizens of Puerto Rico, the Biden administration had to evaluate whether any U.S. vessels can perform the job before granting waivers to other ships. Jesus. This is crazy. Toad's crazy. And uh, I'll tell everyone today, we're not uh, we're not experts on the Jones Act. I do understand all the ramifications it has uh, throughout the economy. You basically create monopolies. They can, they can charge whatever they want. When you have a law saying that you have to use these U.S. built ships, U.S. crewed ships, whoever gets in that position, because it's against the law to allow anyone else to do it, they can charge whatever they want. And then that also, because those prices go up so high, that leads to people using more trains and trucks than they otherwise would if they could just take ships around to different sides of the country. And then that sends more demand into those industries. So those prices go up. That also creates more wear and tear on all the infrastructure than there would otherwise be. And for all you environmentalist nut jobs out there, more emissions because the trucks and the trains put out more emissions than the boats do. But luckily, we are protecting a couple shipping companies and shipbuilding companies and a couple big shipping unions so their workers don't lose their jobs. Mm. So I hope everyone yeah. knows it's worth it. But what we're going to do is we're going to and try to find an expert on the Jones Act sometime, have them come in here and, um, and tell us all about it. Charlie, what did Bernie have to say? We're going to respond with an article from Cato. Here. All right. Bernie tweets out here. We didn't save this for dumb bleep, huh? This is a bit. Well, it's. I just wanted to get the idea and why this next section is important. We're okay. taking a hard pivot right now, but it's an important conversation. All right. So Bernie tweets out, The obscene level of income and wealth inequality in America is a profoundly moral issue that we cannot continue to ignore or sweep under the rug. A society cannot sustain itself when so few have so much, while so many have so little. Mm. That was straight out of Marx. Now just this, straight out of this idea. That this is the basic idea behind like what he's doing all the time, and Robert Reich the Third, and AOC, and Nina, and all them out there, and they make it a moral issue. This income and wealth inequality. You know, we can't allow this. It's not sustainable. And they're constantly going on this income inequality thing. And Charles was going to ask you, first off, do you think income inequality is a big deal? 
I mean, I think inequality of itself is a big deal. Yeah. Yeah. But it's not just wealth. Yeah. Everything is unequal. It's true. Like, so you're saying that it is a big deal, but not uh, necessarily something that we're going to have to set out to solve or. No, it's impossible. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Like, like how do I make you taller or me shorter? Like, or, you know, it's not fair that Costco can, um, you know, what do you say? He can curl 110 pounds or something like that. I don't know. Biceps. It's not fair. It's you know? not. This like, <laughs> there's all this unfairness. Right. Like, and I like what Jordan Peterson says about this is like, you're not even taking the problem of inequality seriously. I mean, are we going to shrink some of our planets down because <laughs> they have all the mass? It's not fair. You know, the problem is like it to, to think that humans could solve any realm of inequality is preposterous, honestly. So the, it does, and it doesn't matter what, what you go after, you could be wealth, it could be height, it could be attractiveness, it could be intelligence, it could be um, so the size of your house, what I guess have to do with wealth, whatever. It could be um, athletic skills. I mean, it could be literally anything that's unequal that humans would try to tackle would be impossible. So I agree with you on all that, clearly. The response from a leftist would be, well, Charlie, you just named off a bunch of things that are just natural characteristics of human beings. Wealth and income, those are things that are distributed. <laughs> and so you can make choices about wealth and income. No, I cannot decide to make you shorter or to make me taller. We can't do that. That's the way that we were born. Money, this is as simple as deciding where it goes. That's it. And that is the way that they would approach that conversation. Yeah. It's just a choice that has been made by the wealthy to keep people poor, of course. So anyway, while I agree with everything you said, I'm just I'm just telling you what people would would say. They they their eyes glazed over, like ten seconds into what you were saying. Like, oh, here we go with mm -hmm. athletic skills once again. Cato did this really cool study, the myth of the American income inequality. Uh, John F. Early, I believe, is what that says right there. And I thought this was pretty cool. And so we got a couple questions answered here. When you talk about income inequality, do you think that that should include the money that people receive through welfare payments? Or do you think it should also include like what your income is at the end of the day after you pay taxes and stuff like that? Or should it, do you think we just purely do it based on the income that people make from their sources of income, whatever they are. Well, what do you define as wealth? Well, we're talking about income in this specific thing. Not, but so how do you do that? Um, okay. Uh, income would be, yeah, whatever dollars you get from any source. Okay. Donations, um, charity even from your parents, let's say, or from a friend, uh, paychecks. What about uh, welfare? Welfare. Yeah. Cash if you're panhandling. So here's the thing I mean, about our that's income, all income, our income it? inequality numbers. They, what Cato was going through here is that they do not take into account whether or not people are given subsidies or welfare or any kind of tax benefits, uh, earned income tax credits. They also don't take into account how much people pay in taxes, uh, anything like that. They just talk about the pure 
stats. How much money does this person make? What does that person make? Similar to that study where it talks about uh, the percentage that the rich pay in taxes versus the percentage that the poor pay in taxes. They just took out some things. It didn't that account were very the important. fact that they don't pay any taxes. Yeah. You know, that whole thing. Or they get money back. So yeah. Cato says the Census Bureau does not count two thirds of government subsidies to households, which are called transfer payments, as income or any taxes taken as reductions to income. So it overstates both income inequality and poverty. Counting all subsidies and taxes shows that income inequality is far less than claimed and continuing to fall. These overstatements have justified higher subsidies to lower-income households that in turn have caused twice as many work-age adults in lower-income households to stop working because mm. they're then incentivized to not work. I will say that I understand the idea that you would want to have a measurement of how much are people making before we take money from these people and give it to those people. Like, you need to know that, Right. If you're going to have a wealth redistribution or an income redistribution scheme, you need to know what these people are making and what these people are making so you can try and even it out. But then you should remeasure. The yeah. Okay. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. The problem is after that, how do you ever measure the effects of your redistribution policies if you don't count any of the redistributed money? Mm -hmm. You don't. And so it always looks like you're just going nowhere, even though you're taking money from these people and giving it to them. If you never look at what their income is after you took that away from them, you say, well, we're, we got oh, we got these taxes, we got this stuff, but look, we still got income inequality. Yeah. No, we're taking money from them, we're giving it to them. Look, we still got the same income. Actually, it's getting worse. Income inequality is getting worse. Yeah, you would have to look at what their income is after you give them someone else's income, right? Remeasuring is very important. <laughs> I would think it is. And I got to tell you, it always reminds me of that TikTok video. This is, this is not related whatsoever. Good. It's just about remeasure. Okay. Okay. Have you seen that video where the the mom asked the son what he was packing for the vacation? And he goes, Oh, I'm not sure. Probably seven, eight inches. <laughs> and she's like, Nate. And he goes, What? I'll remeasure. <laughs> no, I haven't seen that. Anyway, so you got to remeasure. Yeah. That's the point. By not counting two-thirds of all transfer payments as income to the recipients of the transfers and not counting taxes paid as income lost to taxpayers, government statistics dramatically overstate income inequality. Income inequality is lower today than it was three-quarters of a century ago. The facts reveal a very different and better America than the one currently described in debates across much of the political spectrum. I have an issue with some of the phrasing on this because I wouldn't say that the amount of redistribution we've done equals a better America afterwards. I guess it's a better America if you judge it based on income inequality, but that's not really how I judge it. But mm -hmm. anyway, it is Cato. Specific to this specific thing. Yeah. So the official stats on economic well-being uh, do not count more than two-thirds of the transfer payments. We said it did not reduce the income that the government takes as taxes, which average 35% of income for the top quintile and uh, adjust for inflation using price indexes that are not the most accurate. As a result, official stats overstate income inequality by a factor of four and claim that inequality has been rising when it has actually been following, falling for the past 70 years. Similarly, official poverty counts are 10 times larger than the actual number. That is another thing that we don't do. We have this poverty number. And then we give people money so they're not in poverty anymore. But they don't count. But we don't count that. So the poverty number still yeah. <laughs> it's the same. They're still poor. 
Now, there's an issue here uh, when comparing with other countries, and it's really tough because each country measures these things differently. Some countries do count what we're talking about, and some of them don't. And so sometimes when comparing with different countries and you say, oh, look, their poverty is so much lower. Well, the way that they count their poverty level, and they could have a different threshold to begin with, it could be very different from the way that we count our poverty level. Yeah, like, I mean, the best place to live is North Korea. They don't have any poverty. No poverty there. No obesity. Not one bit. No poverty. Mm-mm. There's no health, you know, free health care there. Everyone lives forever. It's, it's impressive. So the, the census money income shows the average income for households in the top quintile 16.7 times as much as in the bottom quintile. So that's the income inequality between the two. 16.7 times as big. However... Uh, that data doesn't really line up. Here's the chart, just a little bit bigger. Here's the bottom quintile. There's their income. Here's the top. There's their income. 16.7-fold difference between the top and bottom. However, since those transfer payments aren't counted, uh, since Bureau excludes more than 100 transfer programs, such as the Treasury Department checks that pay low-income households refundable tax, credit, tax credits in excess of their tax liability, food stamp, debit cards, and doctor bills paid by Medicaid, uh, none of that's counted in anyone's income. And once again, what I'm saying is if you're going to do those redistributed things, wouldn't you want to see what it looks like after you do that? If you, if you always use the income inequality to argue for income redistribution, and he's like, it's not getting better. And then you do the income redistribution, but then you don't count the income redistribution in your number. All the while, what you're doing is actually incentivizing people to work less because they get more of other people's income redistributed to them, then it looks like you never solve the problem. And then you're not getting tax revenue from those people who stopped working. It's, 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 it's genius, really. Mm-hmm. And so adding those missing transfer payments increases the earned income in the bottom quintile by almost 700%. And in the second quintile by more than 70%. For the hires, obviously, you're not going to get a lot of increases in there. Uh, the total transfer reduced income inequality by 90%. Now, this goes from 60. Why is it 60? Because I skipped out one of the slides here where they talk about missing income and they actually added a bunch to the top threshold because of um, and because of capital gains, stuff mm. like that. And so it reduces it down to 5.7 to 1. And that's what that chart looks like. This is after they add in all those transfer payments. It's a little bit different now. But now what else? What if you take the taxes out of the people at the top part? Because those are the ones paying most of the taxes. So finally, the official income numbers make no adjustment for the loss of income to taxes. In the bottom quintile, only 7% of household income is lost to taxes. But in the top, 35%, or five times as much, is lost. And so this is another thing here. You're using the taxes to redistribute someone's income down to the bottom. You're not measuring how much income they actually take in after you use the taxes to redistribute, and you're not measuring what the people's income looks like after you redistribute it down to the bottom. Mm-hmm. That's, I mean, you could do this. This is a real, like a real easy experiment to do. Just take a few cups with water in them, mm-hmm. and then you know, like you have a government water cup, you have the poor water cup, and the rich water cup. You know, and you just give a little bit from the government cup on down to there. And you take the rich cup of water and you pour it into the government cup and then the government cup back in, and then you remeasure. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we don't want to remeasure. We want to talk about what it was uh, without the water. So this makes it like what? Two and a half to one? 
it takes it down to, let's see, the top quintile receives only four times as much income as the bottom, only one quarter as much as the 16.7 ratio that the official measure is. Yeah. And so how can that be? Well, that's because the top, they have the 35% in taxes, and then a bunch of that money ends up going down to the bottom. It sounds like something that you've never heard of before because we don't count that when we talk about income inequality, <laughs> which is nuts. The yeah. other thing that they don't count when they were talking about those missing incomes, they don't talk about people's benefits from their jobs. Like if you've got health care, you've got whatever other 401k contributions, stuff like that, whatever those things are, that's income. It's just in a different form for you. You know, Lacey gets this thing at the end of the year showing how much the business actually spent on her. And, you know, it's like a third more than what it looks like she got paid. And uh, and that's that's income. It's just in the form of, of something else that's not being counted. Well, the problem is, Nate, though, like the highest paid CEOs still make, <laughs> you know, a thousand times more than the average worker. Yeah, so You're right. And that's where you just land on the fact that all of this is just envy and it's just, it's really greed, just another form of, you're just, well, let me put it to you in in, money. Let me put it to you in layman's terms. All Mm -hmm. right. All of this is just bullshit. There you go. Yeah. Totes bullshit. That's, that's all it is. Yeah. It's just, uh, yeah. I mean, think about like the CEO thing is relative to this too, because I saw, um, What's his name? Ben on TikTok. He did a really good debunking of this. If you actually take the average CEO to the average worker, like across all the companies, you know, your average CEO makes like $200,000 a year. Mm-hmm. Okay. Because you have to remember most of your businesses are small businesses. Okay. So when you do the math, it works out to about the same. It's about four times as much as the average worker. Yeah, but what about <laughs> the top 50 companies out of the millions of companies that are out there? Those are the I know. Ones those are really the matter. only ones we yeah. want to count. That's all that matters. Right. It's so ridiculous. Not all the rest of them. And so the, the basic, why are we talking about this? Because when we are talking to people, you know, we had a good conversation with that guy that was sitting uh, next to you at the bar. And we were talking about a little bit of politics. Charlie did show him the podcast let him know about it, showed him some episodes to go check out. Hey, what's up, Chuck, if you're listening today? Yeah. Nice to meet you, man. Yeah. Screw the Giants. Looking forward. Yeah, uh, yeah I hate the Giants. Yeah. I'm looking forward to some feedback. Yeah. Yeah. At, when, you ha- when you're talking with people, you got to make sure that you're talking about the same thing. Because if you're talking to a Bernie bro about some of this, and they're coming from uh, before all of this stuff that we just talked about, whatever the reported numbers are from the Census Bureau, if that's what they're coming from, then you guys are talking about different stuff. And so you got to make sure that you're on the same page. We need to definitely have a form of measuring what the actual income inequality is, like what Cato did. You got to right compare there. apples to apples, not apples to strawberries. You <laughs> just, know? just imagine the idea of implementing this massive redistributive income scheme and then not taking into account what the incomes look like afterwards. You never measure the effects of your plan. And still tweeting. Yeah. That it's gotten worse yeah. and not better. Well, I'm not talking about, oh man, this study just kind of blew my mind. I already, you know, I thought about it before, but I hadn't thought into the fact that they continuously are arguing for the money to be taken from the top to the bottom and then never measuring what that looks like and yep. then still talking about it getting worse. Oh, I'm impressed. Mm-hmm. I'm impressed by these people. And That's thanks great. to Cato for doing this. Yes. All right, let's go. All right, y'all. Life is unfair. Just so you know. <laughs>
All right, if you enjoyed today's episode, please, as Nate mentioned, share the show with a friend, a family member, or foe. Go to joingml.com, sign up, and be a real libertarian. There's a few of them out there that have signed up, so go do that. Go to godhatesfeds.com, pick yourself up some merch, support the show. We would love it if you did that. Um, and then if you want to support the uh, Nate's Crash Course, you can go to natescrashcourse.com, and that'll teach you everything you need to know about the market. Uh, which is, uh, you know, it's it's going to be in a, and it's, it's just an interesting time mm -hmm. to learn about the market. You should know what's happening with your money. That's what you should know. So go to natescrashcourse.com. Do all of those things. And if you do, only if you do, we'll be back again tomorrow. Hope you have a good day and a good morning, Liberty. Come on, man.